Heavenly Father, we thank Thee, Lord, for this beautiful late spring, early summer day. We thank Thee, Lord, for a Sabbath day when we can come apart from the activities of the world, the busyness of our lives, and focus upon Thee. I'm reminded, Lord, of Thy servant John, who said he was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Pray that each one of us might truly be in the Spirit on this thy day, so that we can be spoken to by thee. Lord, we ask a blessing on those that can't be with us, Brother Richard, Brother Dan, Sister Maria, others, Lord, Sister Hilda, and others that escape me at this time. Visit them, Lord. Bless them. Minister unto their needs and help them, Lord, to feel thy nearness. Lord, we ask thy blessing on Matt as he will be traveling west. We pray, Lord, that as he travels, that thy spirit might go with him. Lord, help him and comfort him. Continue to draw him close to thy side. And we pray, Lord, if it could be thy will, that we might see him again. But Lord, bless his efforts. And we pray that he might always know thy will for his life. Lord, we ask a blessing on our fathers in this day. We pray, Lord, that, though, that thy spirit and thy grace might be extended to our fathers our grandfathers, Lord, our fathers of faith, those who have been used by thee as Moses was for Joshua to speak into his life and our lives. And now, Lord, speak to us out of thy word. Give us insight, give us wisdom, give us direction, and we will thank thee for it in advance. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Dear ones, I have several scriptures that I will share with you, but if you would like to turn to something, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 1. That will be toward the end of this morning's message. It's Father's Day. As I got older, as I get older, Father's Day means more things than it did when I was young. It means more to me than when I was a new father. It gives me a greater appreciation for the father that I have and for the spiritual fathers that have been in my life over the years. I've been blessed, and you know I was blessed with a father. My dad's my hero. I know I just embarrassed him by saying that, but I'm not ashamed to admit it, and I'm so thankful that he's still in my life. But Father's Day, Mother's Day was actually um, started 58 years before Father's Day. Woodrow Wilson designated Mother's Day, but the official designation for Father's Day did not come until 1972. Now, in 1910, in the state of Washington, they had designated the, the whatever this is, the third Sunday in June. It was the 19th, believe it or not, when they designated it in 1910 for a Father's Day. But that was only in the state of Washington. I decided to do a little, a little bit of research this week into the importance of a father, the importance of father figures, and when I talk about a father, I'm not going to talk about someone who was a biological father. That's the easy part about being a father. But I want to talk about a deeper role that a father has. And if I can borrow a phrase from Apollo 13 when Jack Swaggart said, Houston, we have a problem. 41% of the young people in American homes do not have a father in their life. 70% of young people, even if they have a male father in their home, 
do not have an emotional connection with their dad. That's a problem. Because involved fatherhood is linked to better outcomes on early on nearly every measure of a child's well-being from cognitive development, educational achievement to self-esteem and pro-social behavior. If we want to find out what's wrong with young people today, if we want to find out what's, what's wrong with young people in my generation, it was that there was the breakdown of the family unit. And when there is no father figure in a young person's life, they are more likely to engage in risky behavior from sexual promiscuity to addictions to violence. Go into the prisons. Find out what was missing in the young men's lives. And it was dad. I always knew that it was important for young men to have a father in their life. I didn't realize this. Recent research has shown that a father's influence in his daughter's life shapes her self-esteem, self-image, confidence, and opinions of men. A girl's relationship with her dad can determine her ability to trust, need for approval, and her self-belief. It's not mom. Moms are nurturing. We need mom. And I had Mother's Day. We know how important moms are. I didn't realize how important dads were. Women who grew up with an emotionally unavailable father often develop an anxious attachment style, living in a state of fear and distrust. Wow. Now, what we also need to realize is, remember when I said, when I'm talking about fathers, I'm not talking about the biological father. I'm talking about a father figure. Talking about a male in someone's life that helps them become who they are. If we, and we won't read it today, but if we look at what, what we read in, Tim, in, the second, in second Timothy, Paul talk, refers to Timothy as his son in the Lord. Paul refers to um, Timothy's mom and his grandma, talks about the faith that he saw in them, but Paul took an interest in Timothy and mentored him. We, Jeremy, and he, did, he had no idea what I was going to speak of this morning, and I had no idea how he was going to lead the lesson, but Moses was the spiritual father to Joshua. He mentored him. He took him along. He shared, with, he shared experiences with him. He helped, he helped Joshua understand what it means to trust in God, believe in God, and have faith. I, I actually teach a class on, on mentoring. And I ask the question, who are you mentoring? Because all of us should be mentoring someone. There is not a person on earth that should not have someone in their life that they value, that they care about, that they can mentor. It's an amazing, there's nothing more rewarding than mentoring people and seeing them grow and develop. But what's the Bible say? So let's, that's the historical and social perspective. So what about the Bible? Well, the Bible says in Exodus 34, 7, the iniquity of the fathers is visited on the fourth, third and fourth generations. Whoa, fathers, grandfathers. Our iniquity will be visited on to the third and fourth generations. But the good news is so are the blessings even farther. Our faithfulness will be visited upon our children and grandchildren and children's children. 
Do we understand that? What, what, a great, what a great opportunity. And so what I thought I would do today with the Lord's help is that I, I, I was trying to figure out, so how do I know how to be a good father? Well, God taught me that. God showed all of us this. And I was reminded of the, the Bible study that we did starting in January. God is. And, and I also realized when I, when I looked through my notes that I never sent the final notes to you people. So I will do that, I promise. Hopefully, within, for sure, within the next couple of weeks, I'll get that finished up. But I went down through that, and I picked 10 things from that giant list that we had of instructions that God is giving us fathers, spiritual men in the Lord. And these are, three, these are 10 things that God does that we need to do. Our God pursues us. He pursues us. So the, verse that, the verses that I picked here in Genesis 3, 9 and 10, And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? God called out to Adam and Eve. Where are you? You're not here for our walk. We have this walk in the cool of the evening. And what was their reply? And, and, Adam, and Adam said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. Now, we won't get into God saying, well, who told you you were naked? But the point was that God, it, God had had a practice of walking with Adam and Eve in the cool of the evening. And even when they were hiding, he pursued them. A father pursues his children, whether they're in the flesh or whether they're in the Lord. He's pursuing. He's looking. He's watching. He's saying, where are they? You know, if they don't come, they don't call. Hey, where are you? Send a text. How are you? Hope all is well. Brother Peter, I hope I don't embarrass you, but you have a special relationship with your granddaughter, and you've shared with me that you text each other. That's amazing. There's a pursuing of her attention, not in a bad way, but in a way, so whenever Riley is, and I hope I'm not embarrassing you, whenever Riley is, is alone, she knows there's somebody who's a text away. And maybe it's her dad, but she knows her grandpa is. That's amazing. Our Father invests in us individually or personally. Isaiah 43, 1 and 2, but know Thou, but now thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed thee, I have called thee by name, thou art mine. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee through the waters. They shall not overflow thee. Thou, when thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. Are we taking interest in our children, grandchildren, and spiritual children. Individually, do we know their hopes, their dreams, their beliefs? Are we, are we one of the people that is helping them discover their giftedness? What makes them very, very unique? What makes them special? The, these things, these attributes, these characteristics that God has given them, and he gave them to them, not somebody else. Are we helping them discover them? Do we know them enough? Are we spending enough time with them to know them personally and individually to say, you know what, I really think you should try this. I want to encourage you in this way, in this effort. 
I'm thinking of something my dad did for my kids because I was not in a position to be able to do it at the time. So, all, and I think it started with Mike when, when Mike started developing as a musician and I gave him my horn to play and all of a sudden somebody at the music shop said, shop said whoa, whoa, time out, why are you giving a seventh grader this horn? You shouldn't do that. He's not, he's not mature. He didn't say it this way, but he's, he's not ready to care for an instrument like that. So my dad bought Mike a horn to encourage this giftedness in that. And then Bethany came along, and all of a sudden my dad wondered, what in the world have I agreed to? Because a French horn's a lot more costly than a trumpet. And then all of a sudden, Jeremy came along, and a baritone, that was a little bit less expensive than a French horn. Now when Tim came along, and Tim was, dad was now retired, and Tim said, uh, I said, Tim, I'm happy to buy you a French horn. Tim said to me, he says, now I'm probably going to embarrass Tim. He said, well, Dad, I'm really not into the French horn. Would you buy me a baby grand? <laughs> I said, no, I'll buy you a French horn. I am not buying you a baby grand. And you can see, now he not only doesn't, he doesn't have a baby grand, and he doesn't have a French horn either. But my point is, are we, are we taking interest in them? Are we looking at the young people that are coming up in our church today? Not just me, but all of us. What's their giftedness? When we see young couples, it's so amazing. Are we, are we still calling out to those, to those young couples and these young people? I see a giftedness in you. I want to encourage that in you. That's what we do if we are spiritual men. It's our job to help recognize their giftedness. Number three, our Father is trustworthy and faithful. Isaiah 26.3, thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. Do our kids, do our grandkids see us as faithful and trustworthy? I don't want my grandkids or my kids to ever say, well, my grandpa was this, my dad was this. I want them to say one thing, he was faithful. If when I get to the end of my road and they, and, 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 uh, well, it won't be John Badman because it might be. I don't know when I'm going to go. More likely than not, it's going to be Joe Matt that closes the lid. I hope that people can say he was faithful and we could trust him because that's what my father, my heavenly father, would want me to live out. Number four. Our Father loves us unconditionally. There's no strings attached. And how do we know that God loves us unconditionally with no strings attached? Because he gave through his son Jesus the parable of the prodigal son. And I won't read it because I don't want to take all the... You, you can look it up. It's in, it's in Luke. Uh, Luke 15, verses 11 through 24. But we know the story smart aleck brat jewish kid that thought he had stuff coming to him so he says to his dad give me my inheritance so i can go out and live my life i don't want to live the way you live i want to do it my way give me what's coming to me and the father said okay and he gave him his inheritance and the kid went out and wasted it scripture says in the king james with riotous living he partook of all the quote-unquote fun that the world had to offer. And he was left physically and emotionally bankrupt. 
there was nothing left. And this little Jewish boy or young man was feeding pigs. And he couldn't even eat what the pigs wouldn't eat. But what did his father do? Every day, his father went to the lane to look down and see if the sun was coming. He just believed. Someday, my son's going to come home. And when the son came and he said, you know, Dad, I'm not worthy to be your son. I don't belong as part. I don't, I'm not worthy to have your name anymore. Can I be a servant? And we know what the father did. He grabbed him. He hugged him. He kissed him. He commanded his servants, make ready the fatted calf. We are having a celebration. We are having a party because my son, who was lost, has been found. And what did the father do? And the father then put the insignia ring of the family back on his hand so he could buy and sell as an heir to the family. That's unconditional love. Doesn't matter what they do. Doesn't matter where they go. They can always come home. Are we loving that way? Because we don't love them for what they do. We love them for who they are. They may be our flesh and blood, but even if they're not, they're God's creation. God made them so unique, just, and they were, just as they were unique when they were innocent, they're unique when they're no longer innocent, but we still love them because they are God's creation. And if God entrusted them to us, he's entrusted them to us so that we can live out for them God on earth. God the Father on earth. Number five, our Father guides us and gives us light. This is where dads and grandpas and spiritual fathers, our kids may not be too thrilled, but it's our job to give them guidance, to give them light. The, the verse that I put here, 1 John 1, 5, this then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. I believe that fathers, spiritual fathers, our job is to illuminate reality for our kids. It's to, it's to show them what reality is, not to convince them. We can't convince anyone of anything. They have to discover that for themselves. But as a dad, as a spiritual father, as a grandpa, I need to show them the truth, reveal the truth to them, help them see things that they couldn't see before. And, and somebody say, well, you know, we're talking about lecturing. No, I'm not talking about lecturing. I'm talking about leading someone on a path of personal discovery by asking them questions so that they reveal for themselves an awareness that they didn't have before. Remember how Nathan did it to David? He could have said to David, you are a murderer and adulterer and according to the law, you need to die. He didn't do that. Nathan went to David and said, I need your advice, king. We have a man that has all the sheep in the world. And yet he took this pristine lamb for a man that only had one, and he took it for his own. And David said, that man should surely die. And then all Nathan said was, you're the man. All of a sudden it woke David up. That's the way we do it. And we also may have to say, you know all this stuff you, you read on social media? 
All the stuff that the quote-unquote experts are telling you, can I share with you? It's probably not true. There's probably 10% that's true, but son, let me show you the rest. Let me show you the facts behind it that nobody wants you to know. Number six, our Father is consistent. Ooh, Malachi 3.6, For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. Isn't it interesting where Malachi has to bring forth this message from God and he says, I am God, I don't change. The New Testament referring to the Jesus part of the Godhead, but still, I am same, the yesterday, today, and forever. There is a consistency in God, the Father. And that consistency allows the sons of Jacob to not be consumed because they know, number one, he's trustworthy and he isn't going to change. So that makes him very predictable. Fathers need to be predictable. There shouldn't, my, my kids and my grandkids shouldn't be wondering which dad am I going to get when, I, when he comes home. And this is an area, dear ones, when I have failed miserably. I don't think I was a very predictable, maybe I was a predictable father, and it was give him some space. But we all love predictability. And what we love, dear ones, don't we? When we come to God, we know who we're going to get. So as fathers, as grandfathers, as spiritual fathers, let's ask the Lord to give us predictability so that what they know they're going to get when they come is what we get when we come to God, a loving Father who's there. Number seven, our Father is patient. Oh, it's a good thing I didn't send a survey to my kids and grandkids about this one. Psalm 103.8, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. Guess I could have used that one for merciful too, but that's my next point. We got to be patient. And men, if we wonder, how can we be patient? Let's just remember how patient God is with us. I need to be a lot more like Moses and maybe a lot less like Joshua. I'm a little bit too action-driven like Joshua. Mo, imagine Moses, you know, can I just be the Moses that says, let me be a curse for them. Paul, we don't read the Apostle Paul had any children, but he had lots of spiritual children. And he was patient with them. Wait, but, so here's, here's where we get our hope, dear ones. So Paul was not always patient. Just ask John Mark and Barnabas. But there's a lesson in that. Paul was not patient, but Paul overcame his earthly liability, his stubbornness, and his, his impatience. How do we know that? Because Mike read it last week. He called for John Mark to come because he was profitable to him. So maybe there's that lesson in that too. We need to be patient, but when we're not, don't be afraid to say, I am so sorry, I was wrong. Our Father is merciful. I was trying to think, what's a good word for a verse for that? Well, how about this? For God so loved the world 
that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. How merciful is God telling us to be like he was? He gave his own son to die. He didn't command his son to die, but he allowed his son to die, that we could be redeemed. Men, what are we willing to give up? for our families, for our spiritual families. Number nine, our father is forgiven, forgiving. I use the prodigal son again. One of my favorite stories, and I, my dad has great stories about when he was growing up. I, know, I knew my grandpa friend just a little bit. You know, some of my memories of grandpa friend, uh, grandpa friend sleeping on a sofa with a toothpick in his mouth snoring. I'm thinking, wow, my kids are worried that my wife sometimes sleeps with a cough drop in her mouth. Grandpa slept with a toothpick in his mouth. That was after a lunch at, at the pancake house and before after. So I, and I remember like him laying there, but I think I was maybe eight when grandpa died. Got pictures of him. But I remember my dad saying what his father was like when my dad went to ask forgiveness when dad was repenting. And grandpa stopped him and said, I forgave you years ago. We better never hold anything against our kids. Ever. Maybe we've been wrong. Maybe we've been betrayed. We have not been betrayed the way the prodigal son did. And we have not been betrayed by our kids or grandkids the way God was by us. And yet he said, come. I'm waiting. I'm pursuing. I'm looking forward to having you come home. The tenth one I picked was our father is a great listener. I still struggle with being a good listener. It's, it's a struggle for me. But the reality is this. If we want to be a good listener, we have to develop an attitude of wanting to listen. It's pretty much that simple. The problem is most people don't listen with the intent to understand. They listen with the intent to reply. Well, as fathers, grandfathers, and spiritual fathers, our job should not be to reply It should be to understand what's being said. And more importantly, to listen for what is not being said. Because the things that aren't being said will tell us far more than the things. What did they leave out? What did they decide not to share with us at this point? So that I can then, and and I I have a a very interesting relationship um, with my boss. Um, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to say it, even though this is going to be public. Um, when I first started working there, he, he said, can you help me figure out what my career limiting behaviors are? So I told him. I said, I, no, I told him, I would, I, would, I would tell him at some point. So months and months and months went by. And all of a sudden, we were in a meeting, and I was going to share something, and he cut me off. And he gave me the solution before I could even say the whole situation, right? So on our one-on-one a few days later, I said, hey, I, I, I got it for you. Oh, great, great. And he's like, you know, he, he writes everything unremarkable. He's like a remarkable or something on his iPad. So he's written. And I said, you don't listen. He's like, what? And I said, let me, let me share the ex- example with you. 
And I told him, and he, oh my goodness. And I said, I'll bet you, if I would ask your wife and your daughters, they might say the same. He goes, oh yeah. He knew it, right? He knew it. He said, so what do I do? I said, you have a bias for solving people's problems. You have a bias for action. That's great. That's a giftedness. A giftedness overused becomes a weakness. So I said this to him. I said, instead of giving the answer, just say this. Tell me more. Tell me more. You get out of your system the fact that you said it, and you gain more information. What I loved about the way he dealt with it was, we have our one-on-ones on Friday, Monday staff meeting. He says to the team, it has been brought to my attention that I do not listen. And I would like you to all hold me accountable. If I don't, call me out. I'm giving you permission to call me out. What has been amazing is in the five, six years now, since then, he has grown so dramatically in his ability and his desire to want to listen. So we can do it if we just put our mind to it. The scripture that I have here, Isaiah 65, 24, and it shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer, and while they are yet speaking, I will hear. Wow, so what this is telling me, Isaiah was telling us about God, that God is so in tune with us that he's listening before we even speak. He's one step ahead in his desire to know us. And his fathers, grandfathers, and spiritual fathers, it needs to be our focus to be there and to want to listen to whatever it is that they're talking about. Again, if if I was going to give my family this list and tell them on a scale of 1 to 10, it might be like I did a 360 once for a coaching client, and I said, how would you rate so-and-so on a scale of 1 to 10, and I got negative numbers? I thought, oh, man. If If this would have been a 360 and these questions would have been given to my kids, dad would have got some negative numbers. So I'm not telling you that I've mastered these things. But I'll tell you what, between this Father's Day and if the Lord tarries and gives me another one next year, my scores better be higher. Because awareness is the key. I'm thinking about it now. I'm going to ask myself, so, Papa, how you doing? How are you doing on this? Are you asking me to help you? The Lord's going to say, I can, I can get you there, but you got to take the journey. The neat part was this guy that got the, the worst 360 ever, he didn't want to be that person. And for at least six months, he said, I read, it was, it was, his 360 was so bad that I told his boss, forget it. Save your money. This isn't going to work. But this man read it every single day for at least six months because he said, I do not want to be this person. So he said to me, Where do I, how do I restart this? I said, the first thing you do is you go and thank everybody that gave me accurate feedback on you. And I said, if necessary, you apologize. Fathers, grandfathers, spiritual fathers, we may have some apologies to give. Don't be afraid. It's the beginning of the Lord transforming us to being more godly fathers, grandfathers, and spiritual fathers. So in closing, now you're just wondering, is he ever going to get to Ephesians? Yeah. Ephesians 1. Begin with verse 15. I never thought of Ephesians 
as being prayers. Now, Kirkridge Bible Company that prints the Thompson Study Bible talks about it as a prayer, but I just, I'm going to read two prayers for you because I really think, I don't think, I know I don't do enough of specific, intentional prayers. I mean, I pray for my kids and my grandkids every day, but not the way Paul did. Starting with verse 15 in chapter 1, Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of glory may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understandings, of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of his glory and inheritance in the saints. Let me read that again. And what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power. Dads, have you prayed that for your kids? Think about that. Paul is, these were Paul's spiritual children. He had spent a significant amount of time, I think maybe a year and a half in Ephesus, maybe more. He was praying that God would open their hearts, open their minds, help them see things that they hadn't seen before. And then in chapter 3, go to chapter 3, picking up with verse 14. So I love how he's writing this letter and he, he shares with them the prayer that he's having for them. And then he goes in, he talks about some more details about an amazing life in Christ and some exhortations. And then he gets in chapter 3, verse 14, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is planned, is named, excuse me. Let me pause here, because named is a much more important word than plan. Do we take the time to share with our children and grandchildren and spiritual children that they're named. They're not just individuals. They're specific. They're called out. They're created by God with incredible gifts and abilities, just waiting for, God, for them to let God take those abilities and leverage them for his kingdom. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. Love that, where it's not up to you to be strong. Don't ever think it is. It's going to be his spirit that's going to strengthen you. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, and that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, I love that, rooted and grounded in love. Why doesn't he say rooted and grounded in obedience? Because it's more effective to say rooted and grounded in love because if we are rooted and grounded in love, obedience will naturally happen. You can't love God and disobey him. And if we do disobey him, it's a love issue. It's not an obedience issue. Because if I truly understand that my disobedience hurts him and I love him, I would never do it. So when I disobey God, it's because I'm not recognizing and living in the love that God has for me and that I have for him. Verse 18, rooted in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints 
what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Wow! Imagine that. He's saying to to his spiritual children, I want you to know everything there is to know about God. I want you to be filled with the fullness. Think about that. How do I, what is, how do I comprehend the fullness of God? I can't. God is. And yet Paul is saying, I want you to understand, I want you to be filled with this. Why? Because that is the key to successful Christian living, to be filled with God. Because if we are filled with the fullness of God, there isn't room for anything or anybody else, including self. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen.